You can't develop these essential skills by once reading a book or once attending a webinar or workshop. You won't even think about developing these skills or reading the books it takes to get you there unless and until you develop this most important skill, most closely associated with getting more sales easier. Welcome to the Food for Thought Lunch Break with Steve Bookbinder podcast, the show that gives you things to think about when you're trying to make more sales without all the seriousness of conventional sales talks. Enjoy and learn as he makes fun of sales training, salespeople, and sales trainers, including himself, all while giving you battle-tested strategies that work. Now, here's your host, Steve Bookbinder. Hey, thanks for joining me on your break. I'm always looking for ways to get more sales easier. Turning your break into a coaching break is a great way for me to help you get more sales easier, too. I want to tell you something that is not only generally true, but specifically true for salespeople. What you know is worth money. What you know that others, like your competitors, don't know as well is worth even more. What you do is worth more than what you know. And increasingly, the ability to learn quickly and use what you just learned is the fastest rising currency. That's why I'm so glad you carved out time for me today. Sales training increases your value. I'm not assuming you don't have sales skills. I'm assuming you do. Salespeople quickly get to the 101 level. But once we pass the 101 level and think of ourselves as either 202 or 303 or 404, it's harder to persuade yourself you still need to keep learning more selling skills. I've been selling for many years. Like most salespeople I talk to, I know all four parts. Prospecting, qualifying, presenting, and closing. Five, if you add negotiating. That's all there's been since the beginning of sales, right? What else is there? The problem with that thinking, which is so common to so many salespeople, is that A, the ways we do those five things have changed, in part because the customer has changed, and B, it turns out there are many other things to know, all of which became a thing to know during the last five years, in some cases in the last five months, and increasingly in the next five months. Ask yourself, you know prospecting, but do you know social selling? You know you need to track your activities, but do you know how to generate custom reports and find your personal ratios in your CRM? You know how to bond with people you meet, but are you as good at bonding when you're selling by phone or webinar? You know how to negotiate, but what do you do when the customer ignores your emailed counteroffers? You know that some leads are not ready to buy on the day you talk to them, but do you know what strategy to use when you speak to a lead that's qualified but not yet ready to buy? the bottom line, once we believe we already learned something, we're no longer open to learning. And like a muscle that we don't use anymore, when we're not learning, our learning muscles atrophy and we become worse at learning, forcing us to reuse old skills in a new world. Some of those old skills are still relevant, like presenting, but are changed by virtue of virtual meetings. Meanwhile, new skills like Lead nurturing, which we previously spent very little time on, is now our most time-consuming prospecting activity. When you know how to sell and you're above the 101 level, you need a new kind of training. You need ongoing training focused on adapting what you already know and adopting what you need. Today, let's talk about what it takes to adapt and adopt. 
Then I'll leave you with four self-coaching action steps you can start this week. We have 15 minutes. Are you ready? Okay, let's kick off today's discussion with today's question. Why you need new sales skills, even if you're not a salesperson? It's a loaded question. Obviously, as a sales trainer, I always think you need new skills. Most people would probably agree that in general, you could always benefit from learning something new. I just pointed out a couple of skills you may need more of. Regardless of your current skill level, all of us can benefit from the number one skill sellers and non-sellers need in an ever-evolving world. The skill of keeping up. That's why the real answer to why you need to learn new skills is that learning new skills improves your ability to learn new skills and vice versa. The problem is it's hard to keep up without a lot of training, which leads us to our next question. Who has the time for more workshops? You do. Every day is a workshop, a chance to learn, test, practice, measure, and improve, a kind of one-person workshop where you practice adapting what you know while learning what you need to adopt. You can't do it alone. To make every day a great workshop, you need two coaches. The first is anyone and everyone you can learn from. When the student is ready, the teacher will emerge. Once you're open to learning and improving, you'll realize you're surrounded by coaches. But you also need to be your own coach, your own great internal coach. Most internal coaches like things to be boringly repetitive. More comfortable, less work, less risk that way. If that's all your internal coach is doing for you, fire your coach. Replace your internal coach with a great coach that challenges you to always improve through ongoing discovery and testing of new ideas. The best internal coaches are internal cheerleaders too. They don't just track to track. They track in order to find improvement and celebrate a win. They recognize that working without seeing improvement is demotivating, but measuring even a tiny improvement when tackling big challenges is the fuel that inspires you to keep going. The best coaches reward effort aimed at avoiding failure. Ironically, focusing only on winning means punishing failure, but focus on avoiding failure leads to success as we get better and better at avoiding failure. In this way, you'll celebrate learning rather than punishing yourself for failure. Your great internal coach will make your sales job less frustrating, more fun, and more rewarding. Your great internal coach needs to challenge you with three questions. A. If I break down my challenge into skills and subdivide into sub-skills, what skills do I really need to accomplish my goal? B. Being as honest with myself as possible, how good am I at those skills? By the way, I apply a slightly more direct version of this question when I ask these questions to myself. In my view, the scoring, the self-scoring, is you are either great at something or you're just okay. Having only two choices forces a person to be honest. I ask myself, am I great at the skills I need or only okay? Usually this humbles me into realizing how little I know. And now I'm ready for the third question. How can I learn more about the skills I need? We're not talking about random skill improvement. Rather, we're talking about the skills that are directly related to getting the agreements you need 
to get the sales you need to earn the lifestyle you need. There's a direct relationship between what you take the effort to learn, what you know, and what you're worth. With your great internal coach in place, you'll keep improving as long as you keep learning. I'm learning from everything I look at and every book I read. You know, it's impossible to read a book without learning something. For me, every book is a sales book, even the fiction books, which teach me how to write better emails. I read books about psychology and decision-making, nonverbal and body language, game theory and forecasting. By the way, if you go to my website, you can find my book recommendations. I think about what I learn from those books when I'm in meetings with customers, as well as when I'm forecasting and presenting and negotiating. And I do those familiar things differently now. I've optimized my approach by including what I took away from my latest book or podcast. In addition to adapting all of my basic selling skills, which we've discussed, I found and adopted four new selling skills. These four skills will give you the competitive edge you need to have better meetings, build better relationships, and build and maintain better pipelines, which are the basic building blocks for getting more sales easier. I think of these four newest skills as advanced selling skills with deceptively simple names, observing, asking, finding, and advancing. Let's take them on one at a time. Observing. Observing even while you're talking. Like noticing a micro-reaction to your questions about the decision-making process, which you missed while telling them what you were going to do next. Sounds a lot easier than it is. It's hard to pay attention to details and context. Your word choice and their body language and nonverbal communication at the same time. But it's so beneficial if you can do them both. That's why we're going to take a deep dive into developing this particular skill in our next podcast. Why is the skill important? Because you and I make a bunch of time and territory management decisions based on what we believe the customer's thinking. Our pipeline and our forecast reflects those beliefs. We prospect more or less depending on our forecasts. We have to be right when we're reading our customers. And we have to be able to read them from a distance on the phone or via email. The skill is learning what to look for. The related skill is learning the customer's true interest and motivation to help us by giving them something to react to. What is that related skill? Asking second-level questions in the moment. Those are the kind of questions it's easier to think of after the meeting, when it's too late. Why didn't we think of this great question during the meeting? Sales advance one conversation at a time, and every minute talking to customers flies by. Our instinct is to fill each sales conversation with features and mostly benefits and see which ones the customer shows interest in. But a more accurate way to measure their interest is to give the customer a question to react to. Ideally, a question that leads to the answer we need. For example, how many times does the customer say to us, I have to talk to the rest of the team, often at the end of a meeting? Most of us can only think of this question. Can I go with you to talk to the team? You'll get a yes or a no, usually a no answer, but either way, it doesn't really tell us what we need to know. Instead, a great second-level question would be to ask, will you be recommending us to the team? If they are, you may not need to meet the team. If they're not recommending your solution to the team, your meeting those same people probably won't help. 
How do you think of the right question in the moment? Anticipating their statements and role-playing your second-level questions with your team members helps. But to create a question that gets customers to reveal their true motivation to influence, decide, or buy, you need to understand where in the buying process they are. Well, how do you learn that? By developing the skill of finding, finding your customer online. Studies show that 50 to 75% of B2B customers are now 50 to 75% through their buying journey before they even talk to a salesperson. This means that the B2B buying process is getting more similar to the consumer process. Given that, where is our customer looking for answers? Most salespeople I ask, guess their customer goes to Google or their own website, the seller's website. Wait, do you really think that a C-level person or a senior budget holder accountable for some important mission this year is blindly typing in a clueless keyword into Google such as, how do I make my organization more productive this year? And what did they see online that motivated them to check out the seller's company website if, in fact, that's where they went? The more a salesperson learns about the online thought leaders that influence our customers' thinking during the first half of their buying process, the more likely we'll still be talking to them during the second half. You can't develop these essential skills by once reading a book or once attending a webinar or workshop. You won't even think about developing these skills or reading the books it takes to get you there unless and until you develop this most important skill, most closely associated with getting more sales easier. Advancing, that is, advancing in a one foot in front of the other kind of way, forward without pausing, advancing from point A to point B. To do that reliably, you need three sub-skills. Break it down, create, and calculate. Let me explain. Break it down. You learn how to break things down when you adopt the goal of looking for incremental improvement all the time. Curiosity and a relentless passion to make more sales easier will drive you to find and test new ways to do everything. Reading, listening to podcasts, watching videos and webinars will help you see how to break down impossibly big things into small enough pieces you can master. For example, closing a million-dollar deal may be the too-big challenge you're facing, but creating a lead list of potential CEOs to call may be small enough to conquer. Create. The game of sales is often played with repetition, but salespeople who practice creative thinking see the biggest rewards. Practice creative thinking by creating brainstorming sessions in your calendar or your diary. Use that time to anticipate worst-case scenarios and invent a solution in advance. For example, it's often difficult in new business meetings to reconnect after the first or second meeting. Do you only have one way to connect? Hey, can we get together again so I can review your proposal and answer any questions you might have? Well, if they're still interested but not yet ready to move forward, maybe we can offer an easier next step designed to help the customer without the pressure to commit. For example, help them measure their need by offering a free needs analysis service or 
create an introduction to one of your other happy customers, or create a one-page executive summary outline, which your contact can show to the decision maker. Over the years, I've created a wide range of creative next step strategies for sales that would otherwise get stuck along the way. And as a result, I get more sales with a shorter sales cycle and an improved conversion rate, which are the keys to more sales easier. But either I wouldn't have thought of a creative solution or had the courage to try something new if I misunderstood the odds of the idea working. This is why I need to combine creative thinking with an improved ability to calculate. Sometimes we need to change our own sales calculation. Sales calculation helps us distinguish between the statistical odds of something happening versus our own sense of emotion-backed probability. Let me explain. Knowing the customer has four choices, each with odds of one in four, is way more helpful than knowing that the customer has four choices, including us, And we're guessing that chances are they'll probably go with us. As soon as we enter into the world of forecasts, into probably, we're in a world of subjective guessing, often without knowing all or some of the customer's real decision-making factors. What is the probability that your forecasts are wrong? If you're optimistic in your forecast, you may underestimate your competitors. But if you're too pessimistic, you may give up too soon. There's an edge in knowing that I, along with my competitors, each have a one in four chance. That motivates me to strategize to gain an edge. It also informs me to have at least four of these opportunities in my pipeline so that I could close at least one. You can apply the principles of game theory to your mental sales calculus. And in so doing, you are in control of your destiny. Rather than viewing sales as a game of luck, where you are an unlucky pawn in a game others control, you are in charge of leveraging the odds in your favor. Following a process that puts you in control and produces results is one of the most motivating, rewarding, and satisfying moments in life in general, and sales in particular. I love learning, as you could probably tell from this podcast, although I have to admit I'm a slow learner. I I read slowly. I process information slowly. I have to really think about every chapter I'm reading and, and let it steep in my head before I'm able to figure out how to use that information. I also tend to have to make the same mistake four times before I, I, I learn a lesson. I want to share one of those instances with you. When I first got into sales, I was selling advertising, and even though I and the other salespeople were introduced to a price list, and we were the only ones who actually knew the price list, for some reason, I thought that that was like the rule, the official price list. So I remember going into my first sale. It was with a home improvement company, and I had the price list prices in the proposal, and I walk into the meeting, and the customer just beat the crap out of me, just squeezed out the margin, and I walked out with about 50% of the value that I walked in with. Oh, disappointing experience. Well, I walked into my next meeting with another home improvement company, same thing happened. Walked into my third meeting with another home improvement company, same thing happened. In all three cases, I walked in with my rate card, walked out with 50% the rate card. I was about to make the same mistake the fourth time when on the way in, I remembered back to the other three times and I went, well, you know what? 
Now that I think about it, I don't think anybody else knows the rate card except me and the other salespeople. How does the customer even know it's the rate card? What if they didn't know, and therefore, what if I just doubled the value of the proposal? What if I just made everything twice as much money? This way, if they actually squeezed me and squeezed 50% out, I'd end up where I wanted to be. And that's exactly what I did. I rewrote the proposal with twice the prices. The guy looked at it and said that this was the interesting thing. He looked at it, and instead of squeezing the prices out, he looked at it and went, hmm, Looks good to me. Let's go. And I almost said, well, wait a minute. I'm absolutely kidding. Those prices are twice what they're supposed to. Luckily, I stopped myself before I went there. But I learned an important lesson. I learned that the numbers in a proposal are going to change. So I just created different conversations in order to get those changing numbers to change in my favor. Let me summarize today's podcast. The sales job has changed. Selling is different than it ever was. We're all doing new things all the time, and we're expected to be good at learning and using new things all the time and at an accelerated pace. We need to learn new skills faster than our competition. We need to keep practicing learning new skills so we remain great at the skill of keeping up. Well, here's four actions you can take this week. Read a book. Change one thing about the way you prepare for a meeting based on that book. Pay attention to one new thing during your next sales meeting. If it's in person or if it's on the phone or if by video, just look for or listen for something different. Listen for something about them and their reaction. And finally, make appointments in your calendar to brainstorm creative next steps. One more thing to block off in your calendar or diary, our next coaching break. We'll use that time to come at our goal of more sales easier by focusing on the psychology of selling, rethinking the way you sell. I'm Steve Bookbinder, your sales coach. Thank you for sharing your break with me. Please reach out if you have any questions about what we've talked about or ideas for future lunch break coaching sessions. Thank you for listening to Food for Thought. To get your free sales playbook, visit dmtraining.net forward slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of Steve's jokes and helpful resources. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.